Hi everyone, and welcome to Philosophy Rekindled, with our focus book, the 1920 published version of Tertium Organum by P. D. Spensky. Today we are discussing Chapter 15, and we will be covering this chapter in two parts over separate podcasts. This is Part 2. You will find the audio version of this chapter as an additional audio to this podcast, and you'll also find additional information on our website, philosophyrekindle.com. Today my guest is Peter Lancet, hypnotherapist, author and classic scholar, and I'm Alice Flanagan, fiction author, computer programmer and podcaster. Thanks so much for joining us, and welcome Pete. So welcome back Pete. Hello. So I'll just go back a little bit from where we last left off, and then we can continue on from there. He says, Since we are able to trace how the energy of love transforms itself into instincts, ideas, creative forces on different planes of life, into symbols of art, song, music, poetry, so we can easily imagine how the same energy may transform itself into a higher order of intuition, into a higher consciousness, which will reveal to us a marvellous and mysterious world. Yes, we can easily mm-hmm. imagine that, Espensky. Well, guess what? We can easily imagine the exact opposite. Well, I can, and most people Yeah, can. and I've underlined that in red because I think that he's trying to say that this happens and if you're not noticing it, you won't be able to tap in and, and make use of it. Well, I know loads of people, well, I don't know these people, but I know loads of works that you can that you can actually buy now. You can go on Amazon and find them, where they explain exactly how to utilize this and what to do. If you can only be, you know, take the trouble to do it, which most people can't, and you have you have this absolute faith in in the outcome, it will the outcome will come. So why isn't he tell us this? Why why well, why all this wishy washy? I think he's trying to. Stuff? I don't think, <laughs> I think he he's is. trying to tell us. No, I don't think he is. Anyway, carry on. Anyway, well, okay, yeah. I think he's a blowhard, if you, since you ask. So carry on, yeah. <laughs> so, moving on. Next couple of pages, I think his main point is that love drives the creative forces and manifests in many ways, um, in pleasure, suffering, not necessarily, you know, as as the greatest experience, but also in the fact that sometimes it does manifest as suffering, you lose a love or you you know, have loss. But any of those uh, very strong feelings inspires you to, to search deep into your soul and to understand things that you weren't capable of before. So I think he's saying if you, know, you, you, you experience a great love, you look deeper into your being to have the capacity to love more. Uh, if you experience a lot of suffering, then you will look into your soul and find that you have strength. Or oh, oh, that's what I'm surmising. He's saying with all of this, it's like it, it, it's the catalyst for really digging deep and understanding the depths of yourself. I don't want to understand the depths of myself. Well, it doesn't say you have to. What? Do, what? What purpose would it serve me to do it? Well, if you uh, say, say for example, you uh, understood a concept of, of courage. And you dug deep into your soul and you, through some adversity, found courage. Then I think you've got something to hang on to knowing that, that you know, it, it's a way of eliminating fear. It's, it's a way of stepping out of fear and knowing, well, I can, I can handle anything. It's, uh, it's got its uses in, in giving you a more 
relaxed experience on planet Earth. I was going to say, yeah, because I could dig deep and find that courage. And then instead of a relaxed experience, I could quite happily wait till the whistle blows and then climb the ladder and go over the top in the trenches of the Somme and walk, not run, walk into devastating machine gun fire. So that's not giving me what I would consider to be a more relaxed experience on, on Earth. But so... But but let's move on to love. You were going to now explain love in the same in the same way, I believe. Okay, talks about the birds singing, and positivists could say that they're singing, so they attract a mate, and so they can reproduce and keep the species alive. But there's a lot more singing goes on than there is reproducing. So maybe uh, the singing, yeah. yeah, maybe the singing is the the principal function of the singing is to create harmony as opposed to attract a mate, and that's a byproduct of it. Have you got that? Well, it says, singing is merely an accident, a byproduct, but in reality it may be that this singing is the principal function of a given species, the realisation of its existence, the purpose pursued by nature in creating this species, and that the singing is necessary, not so much to attract females, as for some general harmony with nature, with which we rarely and imperfectly sense. I thought at first he wasn't talking about singing um, because I thought he was, when he says there's a lot more, uh, you know, going on, there's a good deal of more of this singing than is necessary for the continuation of the species. And I thought he was on about shagging. <laughs> that says more about me than it does about the birds. Uh, <laughs> You're still a few, ch- <coughs> a few, few paragraphs behind. <laughs> yeah. Well, because, no, because, look, a better one than birds. Why do we have this stupid, like, prurience um, allusion to the birds and the bees? Why don't we just say what it is? Because what what would be a better explanation is quite simple. Um, We do a lot more shagging than we need to do just to keep the species going. If all we did was what the church told us that we should do in certain particular sects, um, i.e. Catholicism, that we should only have sex for procreational purposes. We'd only have it a few times, but we don't, do we? We're continually having sex all the time, far more than is necessary uh, for the, uh, the procreation of the species. We do it. There is another reason to it. And, and instead of like having this allusion to birds singing, why can't he just come out and say that? Because that's what he means. Because that's what he means. Yeah. Well, he's ripped that straight yeah. out of Cosmic Consciousness, um, you know, R.M. Buck's book, that yeah. okay. in the first, first chapter or so. Uh, so, yeah, so he's, he's actually has, and he hasn't referenced it, I might add. Uh, no, but, he hasn't uh, yes, that's, here. <laughs> yes, that's, that's probably, probably why he's pulled it out. But I think his, his main point comes from that. He's saying there's, a, there's the singing we would interpret as the uh, call to shag, but and there, there, there may be a lot more shagging going on, but this, there's a lot more singing going on and that its principal function is possibly to, to produce harmony. Uh, but he then goes on to say that there, there aren't any fledglings yet um, and there's, there's no you know, 
distorted and there may be a twinkle in the in the I'm not eye. gonna talk I'm but, not gonna talk I'm not gonna talk about birds and fledglings. I'm not. I know exactly what he's talking about and it's exactly what I just said and it's way if we're discussing this and if we're critiquing this, it's no good using analogies that, that then we have to get convoluted about explaining. Let's let me tell you in, in human terms, adult humans listening to this, you will understand you have sex far more often than you ever need to to produce children, don't you? What is the underlying impulse? What if our main purpose was to enjoy the pleasure of having sex with another human being? What if that was our primary purpose and the the posterity of the species was just just happened to be a byproduct? What if there's something more to it, something numinous, something that stirs our emotions and our feelings to want to have that sexual pleasure as often as possible? without even thinking of having children. And then some, at some point we might say, oh, wouldn't it be nice if we brought a child up? Uh, how, well, I'll tell you what, how we do that, we carry on doing what we, we've been doing anyway. What if the main purpose of us is to enjoy ourselves and each other? How about that one? Because we don't need well. to talk about there the being an excess of singing, of fledgling, because the fledgling hasn't appeared yet, and yet the birds are still singing. You know, I give up. It's as simple as that. Why can't we just use plain language? And there you go. Everybody understands what I've just said. Everybody. To have to go through these daft analogies of birds and God knows what else. We're, we're supposed to be explaining. We don't need to go by his actual words here and why he didn't. I have no idea. Uh, I suppose he lived in those times. But then this is supposed to be an exposition of reality and truth. Um, not something that hides behind the cloak of organized Christian religion whether it be Orthodox Russian or, or Roman Catholicism or High Church of England or Puritan, uh, whatever it is. Why should we hide behind that? The book is supposed to be blowing that apart and, and giving us a view of reality. So why do we need an analogy of birds? It's dead easy to say, Mr. Uspensky, what you mean. And you can do it. And you didn't. But I have. Because that's, that's what it means. Well said. I 100% agree with you. I'm just trying to make, look, a critique of this book doesn't involve us discussing fledgens. Surely we have to rip apart what he actually meant and give people that. Um, because it's like, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, birds, do, they do sing a lot. Uh, your mind has then taken off what the real thing is that he's saying. And it's dead easy to say, and it can be said in a couple of sentences. Bang. So the point, birds aside, because he does make mm -hmm. it in the bird analogy, is that passion ignites creative energy. Thank and, you. Okay, so whether that creative energy is in I'm going to prepare uh, a beautiful home to live in or I'm going to uh, write a masterpiece or whatever that creative energy is. Or build passion, a machine gun. Or build a machine gun. Yep, whatever your passion yeah, whatever. ignites it. And That's the one. That's his link to love. It's and exactly as you said, that being immersed in that physical, sexual, uh, passionate moment is more, it's nothing really to do with necessarily procreation. It's a hell of a lot to do with igniting that creativity and, uh, and getting, the, getting the link to that okay. other plane where love resides. So what is love then in that instance? What do you see love as? Love is all possibilities of creativity. Okay. So when I've decided that my passion is to rid the world of a particular type of human being, genocide, uh, and I 
put all of my creativity into making that happen and I end up with Auschwitz-Birkenau. Um, love, love is the engine that has driven that. Now you, and I know you, are going to find that difficult a difficult concept to understand and most people will find it even more difficult than you but you can't have it both ways either love is the driving force be behind all creativity or it isn't which is it because the same thing has to be behind the creativity of what you consider to be an absolute horror as goes into the things that you decide are absolutely wonderful um you can't have it one way. It, it is either it is either as you described it or it is not. And it, it, it actually is. It, it actually is as you described it, by the way. So people have to actually start chucking away their concepts of what they think love is if they really want to get to the heart of having love as the basis for all creative action. Maybe we should use a different word. Yeah, we'll, we'll call it. The creative force would do. We'll give it a phrase. We do actually have another word in magic, and it's actually a word that? that exists in other aspects of society as well. It's called libido. Oh, yes, yes. Well, look, I, I agree with you, Symbolised by Pete. the colour red, the wand, <laughs> the phallus. <laughs> <laughs> it is. In magic, that's what it is. It's red, phallus, wand. It represents the libido force in the creative process. And I think libido is better than love because people have a romanticized notion of that particular word that they will find it difficult to move away from. Um, when we stop using the word love... Yeah, which is Aspinsky's point. Stop stop thinking you know what love is. Yeah, exa exactly. And so, but I think by stop... That's like saying don't think of a red cat. You can't not yes. think about it by without first thinking about it. So, you know, it's a, it's a simple hypnotic, I mean, it's a hypnotic trick. We do it every time. Um, and that, you know, instead of saying love, Ospensky should have said, um, we're going to talk about a creative force in the universe here. And then people and that, get muddled And that up. makes a load more sense. And, and you're right. It's only judgment that puts on something, whether it's yeah. good yeah. or bad. It's only a Absolute. judgment which doesn't exist. It, so... Uh, and and everything has its its if it's infinite has its own opposite as part of the infinite yeah. expression I, of it. So I would like to make a point that if Hitler had won the Second World War and and had gone on to achieve world domination, you wouldn't have the negative connotation of of his particular genocide that you have now. Winners write history, and winners form opinions. Ask Julius Caesar. Mm -hmm. Winners are grinners. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they do. So, they do actually form the opinion of whoever is left in human society. That we get that mm. we get not just their. We don't just get their writing, their version of history. We get their their emotion of of what it feels like and what it means to have done those things is what comes through. Remember, we bombed Dresden flat. We didn't need to bomb Dresden at all, but we bombed it flat and we created a firestorm. We, I mean, the firestorm in Dresden wasn't nearly as bad as the one in uh, Tokyo but it was it was horrific and dreadful and completely unnecessary you could argue the point for the one in Tokyo maybe uh, you certainly couldn't argue the point for the one in Dresden uh, yet we did it and but because we're the winners there are millions of people that would defend the bombing of Dresden to their hilt we won it and they've got an emotion that it was the right thing to do 
Yeah. He'd been given that emotion Again. by yeah. the winners that wrote the history. But it's not just the writing. It's not just the writing of history. It's that emotional feeling that you get from it. So when we, when I mentioned gas chambers, and I did that provocatively, and I did it on purpose, you do have to understand that it is exactly the same force that led to the creation of those, of those and the creation of that genocide that leads to the creation of Mother Teresa going around the slums of Calcutta and tending to the sick. It's the exact same energy, which is why... You know, love is a poor word to use because love has already been given so many positive connotations that people won't listen to the truth when we explain it in terms of love and gas chambers in the same breath. We need to use that different word. The word that occultists have always done, occultists never use love as the basis, <laughs> as the name for this energy, because they know they're going to use it for so many things that, that love doesn't actually have the same understanding for us as humans as libido, for example. It's a really interesting point, isn't it? And I, I kind of think Aspensky was trying to get to this point, but it very I shabby. do, I do, I really do. But it's a shame that he started from, I, I wouldn't have started with that word. I wouldn't have, yes. my chapter would not have been based on the correct understanding of love. I would have said yeah. the correct understanding of creation. And then you could still yeah. go on to, you know, we look at we look at something and we see the effect that we think we want without understanding that the most important part is something that we haven't considered. For example, I light a candle to bring light into a dark room. But what I've actually done is engaged in a process of combustion. And it's this combustion that's also providing far more heat than it provides light. That is the main the main product of what I've done. But I ignored it because I only wanted the light. And if you look at things in a different way, blah, blah, blah. And he could have done it like that. But yeah, he's one, used, one he's page. Used, he's, used the word, he's used the word love. Now, getting people to um, change the way that they feel about that word is going to be difficult. Yeah. So if he'd have just yeah. described the creative process instead... And he could have used examples of procreativity and so on as as analogies of this process, mm -hmm. but he hasn't. He's he's. I think he's um, backed himself into a bit of a corner by trying to describe it um, as love being the the key. And I think that the word is going. He's going to find it really difficult to get people to understand. And he has that. stumbled around trying to negate all that by saying. Don't think of it like this. Don't think of it like that. Try yeah, and not think of it like anything else. But as you say, as soon as they go, don't think of it, you've thought of it. You, you've thought of <laughs> it. You've got to. It's, a, it's, it's, yeah. it's absolutely basic. It literally is basic. This is hypnotism 101. Well, we're just going to move on a little bit because uh, I've got many pages. You probably haven't got very many pages. I haven't got so hardly any compared to you. <laughs> Okay, so... So he talks about, in the next couple of pages, love being the most powerful of all emotions and that it can unfold new potencies. And he says that the subject of occultism and mysticism are where we will, we will find this developed, these, these powers um, that are deeply hidden more developed. So he, he specifically mentions that. Well, I've got, I've got a great quote. If creation, the birth of ideas is the light which comes from love, then this light comes from a great fire. That fire is the libido, which is why in alchemy it is, it is always represented by the symbol fire. The four great elements, earth, air, fire, water, fire is this 
this element, this this creative force. We don't call it love, though. No, we don't. I, I wish you would divorce love. He says, if the creation, the birth of ideas, is the light which comes from love, which it isn't, because love means something else to us, and it always has. It does. It, it's it's got um. This it's eternally burning fire in which yeah, humanity and all the world are being incessantly purified. You know, in this eternally burning fire in which humanity and all the world are being incessantly purified, all the forces of the human spirit and of genius are being evolved and refined, and perhaps indeed from the same fire or by its aid, a new force will rise which shall deliver from the chains of matter all who follow where it leads. Okay, there you go. You can end right there. Don't need to say any more. That's what he said. It's got nothing to do with love as we understand love. And instead of actually looking at love in a different way, why not give some why not give this particular force a new word? Well, or use a word that that occultists already do, libido, or fire, alchemical fire. You could call it the alchemical fire. I you could do anything rather than try to get people to see a word that they re, that is so deeply the meaning of which is so deeply imprinted in them to see that as meaning something else that you you're really into room five room one oh one in Orwell's nineteen eighty four there you're into Chinese brainwashing in the nineteen fifties literally brainwashing creating a blank slate of a mind on which you can throw something else that's that's how far you have to go to get people to think of love as meaning something else and and i he's he's chosen to do it he, he perhaps isn't the only one but i think that by using that particular word he's actually throttled his his own process if we if we use the the, the words of the occultists and the alchemists this burning fire of creation the source of all creation, the engine of creation. We need all we need to do is kindle that flame, and we can do anything. We can manifest our own miracle, and then we don't have to worry about whether that miracle happens to be good or evil. For those people who really want to be that shallow, um, we can actually just look at it dispassionately and say, "He used that force to do something that I don't agree with," or "She used that force to do something that, oh my God, how wonderful!" We can do that, can't we? Without the and that makes a lot more sense. Impinging, that, yeah. Without the word love impinging on it. That's all I'm saying. Even having read the chapter, I, I had trouble getting past the connotations that I put in on love. You know, yeah. it's, it's yeah. like, what, what, is he, what is he talking about? Is it like love? What do I think love is? Oh, is it like that? No, he's not talking about that. He's talking about something else. And he's actually exactly what you said. It's that, that great mm. fire of burning passion of creativity yeah. of the occultists always have always used it that's what the four elements are for you always start a process with fire the process well you can you can imagine it i suppose i suppose you could say it's it, um the practical aspect of it starts with fire if you first have the idea to do something that's going to come from water that's great wellspring and then the seed germinates in earth under the earth black Okay, we bring that to the illumination of thought, which is air, yellow, and then we actually then we actually start to take action, which is red, fire, passion, get the job done, bring it into the third dimension, let's get it done. Mm. So you see, you see that cycle. That's an alchemical yeah. cycle. Yeah. Now he he could have easily described it in those terms, and whether you believe in 
um, alchemy, magic, whatever. At least you'd know what he was talking about. When he talks about love, you already think you know what he's talking about. And when you then say that it's the, the only engine of creation, and uh, you suddenly have this idea that, hang on, what about people that, that have murdered somebody? Or as I, as I went to, genocide. You know, um, you're then going to find it really, I mean, for, for the vast majority of people, impossible to square the word love with the creation of Auschwitz-Birkenau and the events that went on in Auschwitz-Birkenau. Most, yeah. the vast no. majority of people will not use the word love. They will not see love in such a different way that love was the engine that created Auschwitz-Birkenau. They will see the fire of creation used for something yes. that they do not like or agree with. There's no dichotomy there. There's, there's, there's no contradiction there in their minds. They can easily grasp that. I think we should rewrite this chapter for him, but uh, that's another did. story. We just, we, we, <laughs> we just, we just did. did. Yeah. Okay. So he speaks. He speaks again because he's he's spoken before of two races of men, and in essence, he's saying that the difference between the two races of men on Earth are those that can tap into this creative, uh, this creative fire, uh, and those mm -hmm. that can't. Okay. Yep. So he's saying that everyone's got the potential. But it doesn't. It, it, it's very rare that it would naturally evolve without you giving it a, a bit of a shove. <laughs> so, so he says, on Earth there are living two entirely different races, and that's in italics of men. And the difficulty of making psychological distinctions depends on, in great measure, upon the fact that we endeavour to impose on all men common characteristics which they do not possess. So. He's sort of saying that you, you can't even compare the two because the one type have characteristics which the other type just do not have. I'll tell you what we could do with that. You know the ones that we don't like, the ones that are not us? Let's gas them. I find this idea of the, there are two types of men. One type is just so superior to the other because they can tap into this and the other are just like lumpen proletariat. I find it, I find it a little offensive. Not the first time. I find offence in, in this. Well, he has talked about this before. He also says, but it seems to me... It's a theo theosophical thing. Yes, that in all similar divisions is unsatisfactory. The difference is not in in facts, but in men. So when he's talking about the difference between um, how we classify love, it's not about love. It's about the the men who are classifying it. Um, in which case, that's language used as a weapon, which it is all the time always i i find it interesting that this is not the first chapter he's just thrown in this this concept of races of men he doesn't say much more about it i might add he just talks about no. this this um distinction and uh that's about all he says he does he well, does Hel say helen that, of Blavatsky's talks about it a lot so. and he was a fan he was a fan <laughs> more more than a fan <laughs> but yeah so, you know, I don't know where we go with this. I don't know where we go with this two races of men. I mean, I have I have deep understandings of, of some of these things and of and I, that doesn't mean to say I have total understanding, but I have deeper than a Spencer goes into. And I don't want to take these discussions down that road. Mm. Look, I, I'm because it, it doesn't I... it doesn't it doesn't serve a, a, a critique of this book, which is what we're doing. Um, it doesn't serve that at all. It's a totally different topic, and it's it's not for me to talk about those things right here, right now.
But you, yeah, you, look, I'm you with you. Go on the internet and do and do a Theosophy for Dummies or Theosophy 101, something that will give you, I'm talking to the listeners, uh, something that will give you an overview of Theosophy and then you'll understand about races of men and so on and so forth. And you'll understand the background that um, Uspensky is coming from. I'm not going to suggest that you read um, Blavatsky's incredibly huge uh, book because... I guess most people don't want to spend that much time reading something like that these days. But uh, you can find out the basics and you'll find out uh, about the races of men from the theosophical point of view. And you'll understand where Uspensky is coming from now. That's all I will say. So, but, we, but for now, we've got these two races of men. The one race that can understand what love is and the others who don't. But, but the others can, by huge effort... Um, Evolve if you're into lucky. A position where, yeah, if you're lucky, where you can tap into it, is that is that what he is that what he's saying? It is. It is in essence what he's saying. He what it, in the next paragraph after he says this this mole statement, he says that it is impossible to divide love into two classes because he says there's physical desire without personal attachment. I think that's your drunken shag. And um, <laughs> and uh, physico uh, psychical love with personal attachment. Attachment. I and I'm presuming that's the you know I'm in love with this person kind of mm-hmm. shag. Uh, he said, but there must be also recognised a third type of relation to love in which the principal element is a conscious search for the wondrous in love and through love. For the higher type of men, love without this search for the wondrous becomes almost impossible. That's his statement. Okay. Oh well, what a shame that I'm not one of the higher kind of men. There it is. I'm not. I'm not going to let it worry me. Yeah, it sort of sounds like the higher type of men don't enjoy a good shag just for the hell of it. <laughs> it's got, well, that's certainly know, not me. A... Okay, right. <laughs> All right. Okay, so look, he does now have a bit of a go at Voltaire and <laughs> and Rosanoff. One of which I've heard of, the other I haven't. Yeah, Rosanoff is not getting a good rap by Spensky, I might add. Um, oh, good. He and, uh, yes, he's saying, like, these people have, you know, pushed the point that that sex is a perversion and mm-hmm. that it's a trivial thing, that the Spensky's, you know, sort of saying, you know, this is, this is part of our problem. We've got these great writers writing these things. He then does talk about Nietzsche, the words of Zarathustra, Zarathustra. Yeah, Zarathustra, yeah, so it's the most famous work by uh, Friedrich Nietzsche, also Sprach Zarathustra. But yeah, Zarathustra is this ubermensch that goes up to the mountain and has revelations and then comes back down into the realm of men. He's almost a Christ-like figure in many ways too. Um, but yeah, Zarathustra has the, the mystical experience, so yeah, carry on. Oh, okay. Well, he he quotes his uh, words on voluptuousness. God, yeah, I've and got voluptuousness in, essence, in here. Yeah, and I think in essence he's saying that if you think that if your if your way of thinking is that uh, you know voluptuousness is uh, to be shunned, you'll see it differently to someone who sees it as something to be embraced. It's it's a matter of opinion, and hmm. so it's it's your your perspective on voluptuousness which gives you what you you think it is yeah i mean voluptuousness is um a strange choice of word for us now uh, but but um, certainly nietzsche uh, when he's describing the ubermensch 
is somebody that's free from imposed morality. So the Ubermensch will take pleasure where the Ubermensch finds pleasure. You will not wrap it, you will not wrap a word with meaning that then restricts your experience of life. Okay, and, it's, and I think maybe Espensky's brought that in to say, you know, it's, to hell with what everyone else says about it being, it's, you know, if you take a perspective, that's what you'll experience. That's right. So, so instead of like coming across a word and allowing that word to imprison you, you actually allow the word to give you an, uh, a, a potential for freedom by, ex by choosing to experience it. Right. Well, that's why Aspensky has chosen to quote it, I imagine. And, uh... Look, Nietzsche is more famous than Aspensky for a reason. Uh, Nietzsche puts it really plain. In fact, I would recommend, in a way that I didn't recommend that people read um, Helena Blavatsky's uh, Theosophy um, book, I, I would recommend that people read um, Thus Spoke Zarathustra, or just in, uh, I think in the Penguin edition, it's just called, I think it's just called Zarathustra, but it's in, in German, it was Also Sprach Zarathustra, which is also the title of the theme tuned to 2001 by Strauss. <laughs> but it's about, well, you can imagine that, that music, duh, 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 it comes at the beginning of 2001 and at various other points, but at the beginning, the caption that comes on the screen is the dawn of man. This is about an awakening and a, a, a flash of spiritual evolution, a flash of spiritual awakening. Zarathustra has that on the mountain. He does almost the Buddhist thing. He goes up to the mountain, away from the company of men, and boom, has these realizations, and then he comes down to spread the word. But, but he doesn't come down like Jesus, full of compassion. He is contemptuous, largely, of men oh. and their groups. Oh, a, there's a reason why he's called the Ubermensch. He has, his awakening has evolved him into being, shall we say, one of these other classes of men that, that, that we were just, you know, talking about earlier, Zarathustra has now, through his awakening, become something that ordinary people are not. And he will tell them the truth. Whether they choose to listen is their problem. You know, he won't try to persuade them, but he will, he will feel contempt at, at their, their misery because of their failings, when he showed them a way of not being miserable, of being their true self and being true to themselves, whatever that may be. Zarathustra doesn't talk about um, what's objectively good or evil. It's always subjective. Okay. And That's in fact, you. another work by Nietzsche would be Beyond Good and Evil. He's even written a book called Beyond Good and Evil. So, you know, you know where this is going. And it's like, don't be chained by the prison that language has been created to make for you. And by the way, anybody that thinks that it hasn't needs to take a look at language again and the meaning of words and how words are used and how your perception of what a word means strangles you and holds you back. Well, just like the word is love, it isn't it? Well, the, love, the word love for this is the great example of that. Um, uh, people will will find it very, very difficult to discover Uspensky's ideas in this chapter because of the word love that's been used, to the point where you can almost wonder if, whether he's done it on purpose, to see this chapter will only mean anything to anybody that's that's prepared to make the effort. Oh, 
Well, which, that's which not a good a author. An author should well, be making it easy so you, you get what they're talking about. But anyway, that's another story. I'm not saying that that's what he did do, but I'm just saying that it's strange that he uses the word love to come up with these concepts that can actually describe the creation of things that nobody will associate with love. And it maybe yeah. maybe he thinks it's a trick to shock people into getting a different perspective on the word. I'm going to suggest that it was a poor poor idea if that's what he's done. I don't know. I I can't know. I can't go into his head and know what his what his idea behind that was. But we know. I mean, he hasn't really even explored that concept that love could be something that we would judge as evil. He hasn't even no, gone hasn't. into that. He's he's only talked about. It's morality strangled. Mm, I know. Yeah. So he hasn't really even explored the 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 concept. I don't think. No. In a great ex- extent, he does somewhat try to touch on it when he says that um, love does not belong to us; that it's not of this world, and it is infinity itself. Um, I'm going to read you a note at the bottom of my page, Alice. I just found something. This is interesting. This this relates to the fact that you've got pages that I don't have. Oh, okay. He explains the he explains the missing pages away by saying this. Oh. In the first Russian edition of this book, in those sketches which took the place of the present chapter, among other things, I made the attempt to classify love and to differentiate between love, individualized feeling, and sexual emotion not individualized and undiscriminating in its longing for the satisfaction of the purely physical desire. But it seems to me now that this division, like all similar divisions, is unsatisfactory. The difference is not in facts, but in men. In other words, it's subjective, not objective. He's realized that. Uh-huh. And which is Hence. which is why he stripped those pages out. Well done, Ostensky. <laughs> I just trawled through 20 pages and make notes when I could have done it in 10. (laughs) He does in this note, though, mention something that you've mentioned. On Earth, there are living two entirely different races of men, and the difficulty of making psychological distinctions depends in great measure upon the fact that we endeavour to impose on all men common characteristics which they do not possess, which is something that you said. So he's put yeah, that in his notes. Yeah, that's what he wrote in there. But that's it. The the what I've just read dismisses all of that chapter that you've got in your book. Yeah, ten pages thereof. How interesting. Yeah, ten pages of it gone. Yeah, by the fact that he realised that you know it, this idea is subjected. At that point, he could have gone a, a stage further and and changed the word love for libido, couldn't he? And then yeah. made it a lot easier for everybody. But he didn't. So there you go. He didn't. We have that. Yeah. We've done it. Done it for him. So this concept, I'm going to very quickly read this sentence. It's a long sentence. And the power thus to coordinate love and thought can appear in men when and only when they have come to understand that love is not a phenomenon of this world and that it does not belong to them, but is infinity itself with which they sometimes come weakly in contact. Okay, right. This is the truth. Now, we need to go to magic here to explain that, that little sentence, well, large sentence, whatever it is. So we'll, I'll come back to the four elements. This limitless eternal that he des- describes, you know, this infinite, is the first part of the process. This is the prima materium, 
So if you look at the four great elements of alchemy, earth, air, fire, and water, this is water, the eternal, infinite, deep, the, the, the material from which all create, everything in creation starts as, as this unmoving, infinite material. How do you get that material to do anything? How do you how do you get to take some of it and shape it into something else that you will see in, for example, the third dimension? You set it in motion. The great infinite deep, this great cauldron, the great womb that contains the inf infinite matter of creation. By infinite, it means that everything, the whole universe and many universes have been and still can be created from it. It is still it is absolutely perfectly still. So what do you do? You set up a vibration within it, a frequency, a frequency in tune with what you want to create. How is this described in religious works? Bereshit bara Elohim hashamayim ha'eretz. In the beginning, the gods made the heaven and the earth. And it goes on to describe how that process takes place. The pneuma which is breath or spirit, and it translates both ways and both have meaning. The breath of the great creator moves upon the surface of the water. What happens if you push a breeze across a still pond of water? What happens? You get a ripple, which... You get waves. What does a wave, what does an energy frequency look like when we represent it a as a diagram? Yeah. Thank you very much. So even thousands of years before we had spectroscope, uh, spectroscopes and all the stupid technology that we use, people were writing in clear, unambiguous language the process of creation. You move the breath on the water, you stir, you agitate it. What are you agitating it with? Fire! The spirit, the pneuma, boom. This is the process of creation where no part comes first and no part comes last. And you can start it at any point from the four elements. Now that's, that's taking us further than we need to go. But that's what this chapter is all about. And the word love actually makes it, makes it difficult to understand rather than clarifies it. Yeah, yeah. But you made sense then. That made a load of sense. Why it's why it is infinity itself? Because whatever mm. you want to create, you, you set start the vibration with that material. Up. Yeah, you set yeah. the vibration, that frequency. Now, people that will sell you, people that will sell you a course on, I'm going to teach you the law of vibration, and they'll all talk about how your frequency has to resonate. Oh, we should we should all we should all seek for high vibration and bring love into oh these people make me want to vomit into a bag they know nothing of which <laughs> they speak and this this is clear you need only go to the bible and you'll find it it is pure clarity uspensky knows it and he all he's done is muddy the waters by using the word love if he'd have not used the word love in this chapter it would have been a lot easier to read and a lot easier to understand it, it would have been it would have been because yeah. talking to you with this has, has and you know really turned the light on for a lot of this stuff that that when I read it I, I kept on getting it mixed up with love 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 you know it's it's got its own yeah. connotations for me and take that word <sighs> out boom yeah it suddenly so, it suddenly makes a lot of sense what he's telling us doesn't it yeah if only he had said this <laughs> in that way 
Um, well, isn't this why we're why we're going through this process of unraveling these chapters? Yeah, and that's and why that's why we're say, here, isn't it? Yeah, and, and and I really enjoyed this whole process because I come out of it um, having getting a really great understanding, having Me bounced too, ideas I, off you. Because it makes you think about things. Uh, it makes you think about what he's saying. And then that brings in other things that you may have read and, and not really paid attention to. But suddenly they they come into your consciousness as you're reading this. Oh, oh yeah, this is this all fits in. It's great. It's great. Do do. Yeah. So thank you. <laughs> it's all right. Um, okay, so, need to go? Okay, there's another great point he makes in the next couple of pages. And it's basically saying that love sorts out Love sorts out and selects men. It is the awakening of the soul. Um, I'll read you what this, this sentence. The purpose of love is the awakening of the soul. But to attain this purpose, the love flame must burn at the maximum of clearness and intensity. This is possible only when there are no false views upon the subject of love and only for those who are not hopelessly, hopelessly sunk in materiality love sorts out and selects men it's kind of saying it sorts out the uh, well he does actually say uh, a few paragraphs down um he talks about the higher and lower race that love sorts out the wheat and the tars of humanity it's nice have you got that in your book (laughs) have you got that in your book no no, i haven't i haven't well in mine yeah so he's 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 further pushing this point that if you are tied up with love being something that you control and you well that comes from you not something outside of you that you um, access and you strangle it with what you you, you put uh, it, it's um, restrictions on it as to what it is then you are missing the whole point and um, you'll be on that lower race of men, in essence. I don't know if it's a bad thing to be on the lower race of men. They might be having more fun. Who knows? <laughs> I've abs- well, if if the higher race are like the Buddha and they spend all their days sitting under a tree, then why did they come here? Why did you come here to have a third, three-dimensional experience when you've chosen to have your as your three-dimensional experience just sitting under a tree so that you can actually achieve... Um, union with what you were before you came here. <laughs> it, it's like it's like don't come. It's like don't going come. to the fun uh, part to, and sitting to, on the seat. Yeah, I mean, and not, why, not why, going on any rides. Not going on any of the rides. What's what is the point? I, I I really do see. This is what this is what I was saying just a minute ago about these people that that now and you see social media makes it even worse, doesn't it? You know, you see all these memes about you know we should be raising our vibration, and then it becomes an ego thing on the internet. Well, you know, I'm I'm living. In, I can't be involved in that. I'm I'm. It, it it would lower my vibration. Believe me, the moment that you actually write something like that on social media, so that you're letting five hundred million people know how fucking marvellous you are your ego is already fucked so go away your vibration is as low as it needs to be carry on carry on telling us all how great you are and how high your vibration is you fuck and i'd 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 like i'd like you not to edit that out swearing and i will leave that in yeah nonsense i've never heard such the the more people tell you about how high their vibration is and what you need to be doing to raise yours the lower theirs is so uh, it's virtually almost a given. 
ridiculous. Well, if you have nonsense. to tell somebody about it, then it's obviously yeah, not I know. an obvious thing, is it? Yeah. I mean, thing. quite quite clearly, I tell people how brilliant I am. Don't no, I, do I? No, I don't know. <laughs> but it's obvious, Pete. It's obvious. <laughs> it's, if you say if you say it, uh, that's different than me saying it, isn't it? It doesn't mean it's still not a fact if you say it. I mean, that's, that's neither here nor there. That's neither here nor there. <laughs> yeah. But if I, yeah, but but people would have reasonable cause to doubt the veracity of it if I'm saying it. <laughs> the phrase, well, you would say that, comes to mind. You know? If it's observed then, by then, somebody then, else, then, it's, it's more likely to be there. That could be theirs. <laughs> well, it certainly is in their subjective experience, isn't it? But you know, yeah. Okay, there's another great point he makes in the next couple of pages. Yet, if they would decide to discard their two-dimensional psychology and try to understand the true substance of those phenomena, then, with the aid and by means of these phenomena, they could sever their connection with their plane, arise, fly up above it, and discover a great unknown world. I I know his what he's saying in the sense of the words he's using, and I, my interpretation of that is... If you if you break free, if you as you had already said, if you break free of of your thinking, and allow yourself to experience something without that, you can you can create your own reality. You can tap into mm. that great creative force and and manifest things that you logically would never think possible. It's quite it's quite simple, isn't it? You you there are two races of men in this sense. There are those that believe in their own limitation. There are those that believe that they have no limits. Quite simple. So once you start saying, oh, magic, that's just nonsense. It doesn't exist. Then you're not going to do anything with it, are you? There are those that say, hang on, there are people that achieve ridiculously successful things. What I consider to be success beyond beyond imagination. They come from nowhere. They go everywhere. Everything they touch turns to gold. By the way, this is the meaning of the Croesus story. And mythology always has these incredibly unambiguous lessons to teach us, um, and and also the myth of Icarus. But we'll we'll we can come to those later on. Um, but that fact is there. If you let go of your conditioning, let's call it conditioning, programming, or whatever, and say, hang on, um, why is it that great people have spent all their lives? you doing this work what is that there must be something in it and you suddenly say okay i'm gonna because in now this day and age you can go out and buy books buy books on alchemy how it works what it does how to, how to bring it into your life like i say they might not even be called alchemy um but it, it, it essentially that's what it is and all you've got to do is break off your conditioning and start searching for other things you don't have to sit under a tree uh, and allow your mind to empty. You can just go onto Amazon.com.co.uk or dot whatever, and you will find any number of works. Now you have to use a little bit of discernment because some books uh, are better than others. Uh, maybe you have to buy a few of them before you can sort the wheat from the chaff. But you will find something that will give you the the, the method that you need. Um, there are there are works that are really really good, but you'll find that if you read them and you try to put them into practice, um, you'll it will actually create more doubt than certainty. I'll give you an example of one that you and I both know, Florence Scovel Shin. Telling you right now, yes. I'm telling you right now that ninety nine thousand people out of a hundred thousand will read that 
and say, it, it sounded great, it was written so well and I believed every word of it, but it didn't work, they will, because the elements are missing. You really need to get to this earth, air, fire and water section. You really need to know how those elements work and where where you find those elements within you so that you can use that laboratory, that internal laboratory, to create your miracle, to create whatever it is that you want in your life. And by the way, once you you know use this super superpower, it is a superpower. Self-hypnosis is a superpower. And once you use it to supercharge your results, your life changes in dramatic ways and by the way can change really quickly really quickly you know within days rather than months or years so you know it does happen so i think this is what ospensky is telling us in this roundabout sort of way um I, i think he's just telling us throw off the shackles of your conditioning and start looking at these other things that are out there that can make a radical difference once you do that you become one of this other race of men the, the race of men that knows how easy it is to get things done and have fantastic experience in this world. Your experience might not see yeah. somebody else, but, you know, you'll be having your experience. You'll be living your life. You'll be living your purpose because the depth inside of you that tells you what you really came here to experience will come bubbling straight to the fore and you'll make that happen. And I think that is what Ospensky is telling us, but he's, he veils it. He hides that meaning in the words that he uses. It's almost like he he didn't quite grasp it himself, but he could feel it. It was yeah, almost like maybe he didn't maybe have the yeah have the words. It's it's like this. It's not like that. It's it's kind of over here. Yeah, and I'm but, trying my best to do it too. Yeah, it's it, well because it is an experiential thing as well. Yeah, yeah, and he does talk about in the chapter if you just get pull the thread, if you can just drop all your preconceived ideas yep. and then you will notice a thread and then you pull the thread that's your start yeah that's that's going to get you a lot further i like and that. he mentions that Ama- amazingly for Spensky, that's an analogy that i really like <laughs> <laughs> well he does talk about that in in the chapter it's just it's just clouded by all this other you mm. know birds singing and yeah. um People found, making rules up about things, and yeah, yeah. Well, in my chapter it, it double double that because it's double yours. Yeah. I'm going to get right to the end sure. here. Yeah, last couple of paragraphs, and he, he he comes back to where he started, returning to that from which I started, the relation between two fundamental laws of our existence: love and death the true mutual correlation of which remains enigmatical and incomprehensible to us. I shall merely recall Schopenhauer's words which, with which he ends his Councils of Maxims. Now, I'm not going to read those, but what I, what I summed up the words that, that this Councils of Maxims um, says, that death is just when you run out of living. That's what I think he's. That's what I think. Brilliant. He's, that's what yeah, um, uh, with that, uh, when you realise that, then you don't need to fear it. Yeah, and that, my friend, is chapter fifteen. Well, well in my version, that's not the end. That's not how it ends. Oh, in my version, he oh, quotes. He, it's totally different. Um, but then he he just finishes off saying, "I shall quote in this connection a poem in prose by Edward Carpenter from the book Towards Democracy." And in this book called Towards Democracy, apparently Edward Carpenter has written and published a poem called The Ocean of Sex. 
I'm not going to read it. It's oh. it's rubbish, but it's there. Oh no, I've got that. I've got that further further in further back. The, oh, okay. Yes. Well, anyway, and then yes, and then after that, oh, so you have got that. Right, yeah, okay, fine. I have got because that, Because then, yes. then he does have this little paragraph about returning to that from which I started, you know, that you that you mentioned, and then Schopenhauer's words, you know, Eros with yep. death and, and Orcus, then... or Amethanes, the, as the Egyptians call him, is not the only, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, good old Schopenhauer, eh? Good for you. But that's yep. it. We've, we've pretty much, it. We've pretty much um, pulled the beans out of the bag of that chapter, I think. I think so, and look, you know... Okay, he he didn't do it well. Well, you know, look, give him give him a pass. But but he did have something to say. Yeah, he did have something to say he, that was a bad. No, he did, I he think. did. I just think he veiled it. I think he hid it behind a veil. By the way, that you I, know, I, that's, I'm with you. And and I think he's done that on purpose. I mean, I love it because he is a theosophist. Well, certainly he 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 likes theosophy. Um, whether he's whether he practiced. Or how he practiced, I don't know, but he does. And Blavatsky's work is great work is Isis unveiled. Well, this is Isis veiled. Ah, veiled. <laughs> he's doing. He's doing the opposite. <laughs> yeah. Well, do you know something? Let, let me tell you. I think he shows, like a lot of people of his time, he finds sex embarrassing, and so he. This is why we talk about birds and the bees and stuff. He's still. <laughs> He is still the slave to the conditioning that has been with him since birth. I will contrast it with somebody else who, who was writing at, at the same time and continued on after for the next 20 years. Alistair Crowley, who has no such inhibition, none whatsoever. No, and actually tells right what Ospensky tells in this book, you know, what Ruspensky is doing in this book, Alistair Crowley makes it as plain as day, and he does it on purpose. He, he, he made it his life's work to rip the veil apart and say, look, all of you, we can all have this. People are, why do you think that Alistair Crowley has been demonized? Alistair Crowley has been demonized because he exposed the truth. Not because he was a, the wickedest man on earth, blah, blah, blah. I, I get fed up of hearing this nonsense. Ooh, he's scary. I think Ooh. it's because he was having a rollicking good time. Yeah, people do. Well, I mean, but, he really was. Well, you, He was he, immersed in a good time. I'm going to leave Chapter 15 where it is. Thank you, Ospensky, for giving us all that to wade through. And, you know, I've, I've really enjoyed the conversation with you, Pete. It's been, been fabulous as usual. And uh, I look forward to joining you for chapter 16 yeah well, it's been fantastic as ever i, I really enjoyed it i mean yes um uspensky can be as exasperating as ever but you know once we pull the veil back and, and we we got rid of the word that was causing the problem then it, it actually became as clear as day what he was telling us yeah you're right you're right really enjoyed it see everybody there on chapter 16 and thanks everyone for listening